The Nationals are back home, and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one, or come afterwards to catch late-night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com reservations to secure your reservation for this week. Walters is a great option, not only during Nats games, but also to watch Euro 2020 matches. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Schwarber with three home runs in his last two games in the leadoff spot. Throwing a run with a third inning single. He's one for two with a walk. The 1-0 to Schwarber. Swinging a long drive right field. This one's deep. Way back there and gone. A line drive home run for Kyle Schwarber. He has done it again from the leadoff spot. Home run number 13. Nationals back in front. 3-2 here in the seventh inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, June 15, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, look, if you can't beat the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates, then what really is the point? The Nationals did beat the Pirates on Monday night for a nice start in a three-game series for the Nationals as this 11-game homestand continues. A 3-2 victory over Pittsburgh. Nats get to 28-35 and on the season. Now we're just a game below 500 at home on the season at 16-17. and And yes, it is the Pirates, but also, yes, another overall tremendous pitching performance by the Nationals. This is some run that this Nats pitching staff is on right now, Mark. I mean, it's a 10-game stretch now where the ERA, and I thought I had it in front of me, but I don't, but it's uh, just a little over two. Now, the problem is they've gone five and five in those games. So you just need to score a few more runs. Again, when they score three runs, their record is off the charts. It's when they score fewer than three runs. And unfortunately, that happens too often uh, that they're not winning games. So, you know, we know what the path to victory is for them. And they did it exactly the way that they're trying to do it on Monday night, maybe helped out by a, an opponent that wasn't that serious of a threat at the plate. But good on all of them for getting the job done. Lester did what he needed to do. The bullpen has kind of quietly gotten it back together, despite the uh, the losses of Daniel Hudson and the other issues they've had. And Kyle Schwarber is the, the man right now for them. He is delivering the home runs and delivering them in important moments. I think this might have been the best of them all because of when it happened. Yeah, I'm really interested to see for game two of this series. The Pirates are starting a lefty. Is Davey going to continue with Schwarber in the number one spot? Or is this purely just a matchup thing and we don't see that? But this guy, Tyler Anderson, who the Pirates are starting on Tuesday night, is a lefty. He's not been very good this season. 452 ERA over 12 starts. You'd think this might be a spot to continue on 
with Schwarber in that number one spot. And geez, has he been good in this way. It's now four homers over his last three games in the number one spot. And it wasn't just the homer for Schwarber on Monday night. He went two for three with a homer, an RBI single, and a walk. It is certainly, though, the homer that stands out. A two-out solo shot to right field, because that's where all of his homers go. Bottom of the seventh to put the Nats up 3-2. Like I said, fourth homer over his last three games as the Nats' number one batter. The home run going a projected 399 feet for StatCast. He also had a one-out RBI single in the Nats' two-run third. Did get thrown out by like a mile in trying to advance the third on a one-out single by Trey Turner, but also had himself an eight-pitch walk, uh, Schwarber did, with one out in the bottom of the fifth, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. He is looking awfully comfy as a leadoff batter here, Mark. Yeah, he is, and I agree. I'll be interested to see. That'll be the real tell on Tuesday. Against the lefty, will they do it again, or Will they move him back down to, say, the cleanup spot or five spot, something like that? I don't know the answer. I'm honestly not sure what they're going to do with that one. It would be pretty fascinating if he is hitting leadoff again. And perhaps you're hearing the thunder in the background here as there's a huge storm rolling through. Thankfully, it came through after the game was over. So a few things here. Number one, that's one of the few sub 400 foot homers that he's hit. (laughs) You know, that was a legitimate wall scraper. So that's number one. Number two, I, the RBI single I thought was really good. It showed a good approach in just getting the bat on the ball and finding the the open space in shallow right field to score the run. So, I mean, it, it kind of got overlooked at the end of the night, but that was a really important hit at the time. And now the base running play. The one-two. Swing a line drive up the middle over the leaping Frazier. A base hit center field. That one on a fastball juggled. Schwarber goes toward third. Reynolds throw is going to be in time with Hayes applying the tag. And into second is Turner. So Reynolds bobbles the ball, and that works out perfectly for the Pirates. So I asked him about it. I asked Davey Martinez about it. So he's running into second base on a single to center, and he's going to stop at second. And then he sees the center fielder, Brian Reynolds, just kind of bobble it. And I think he thought that it was going to go further behind him. And so he turned it back on. And by the time he rounded second and starting for third, Reynolds had already picked it up because it didn't stray that far from him. And he, he threw him out, like you said, pretty easily. But Schwarber said that's a play he's going to do over and over again, that that's just an aggressive baseball play. And in that split second that you have to decide, it looks like the ball's going to get away. And so you go for it. Davey thought it was a good play in the moment as well. So I think this is a different one than the Victor Robles play from the other night, even if the result is the same thing. It didn't look good watching it, but I think I understand why he did and maybe a little more credit to Reynolds for just retrieving the ball as quickly as he did and making a good throw. Yeah, Reynolds did recover very quickly, and he made a tremendous throw. So it, it, it was kind of one of those, you know, Murphy's Law plays, and I'm not talking about Daniel Murphy, where <laughs> it went exactly as you would want it to go from a Pirates perspective after the initial bobble. The recovery couldn't have been better. The throw probably couldn't have been much better, and Schwarber ended up being out by quite a bit. But it is a forgivable sin, given what Schwarber ended up doing in the game. And look, this was another underwhelming game for the Nationals offensively. I mean, just three runs, just six hits, three walks, did go two for four, with runners in scoring position. But if Schwarber doesn't hit that home run, you know, ball game is tied at two. Nats were very much in danger of losing this thing. Thankfully, did not. The other Nationals run scored on an RBI single by Juan Soto, a two-out first pitch RBI single in the Nationals' two-run third inning. So, you know, it's another game in which Soto doesn't have an extra base hit, but he does come through with a run scoring hit. But beyond that, I mean, there wasn't a lot happening for the Nationals offensively in this game. Victor Robles did have a leadoff double in the Nats' one-run third. That was nice to see. Josh Bell had a walk and a single in the game. That was good to see. Trey Turner had a single, but he continues to not hit for extra bases. 
So, you know, if not for Schwarber, our tone and conversation on this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, probably a lot different. But I feel like that's what almost every game is right now. It's a thin line between winning and losing and feeling good about this team and feeling awful about this team. This is kind of how all their games go. I mean, when's the last time, I guess they won the game five, nothing the other day, but for the most part, it's three to two, two to one, two to nothing, one to nothing at times. And so every single opportunity you get to score is magnified. And when you do score, it's often resulting in a win. And when you don't score, it's often resulting in a loss. That's just who they are at this point. The Soto hit to score Turner. So here's where on the back end of that base running play by Schwarber, here's where it is good base running by Turner. As soon as he sees the throws going to third, he takes the base behind him and that allows him to be in scoring position for the Soto single. So that actually kind of worked out okay in the end. You know, who knows what happens if Schwarber holds up at second. Now it's first and second. You know, we'll see. But that inning also, it looked like they were going to keep it going. They had five straight batters reach base, or they thought they did. And then Josh Harrison on a replay review was called out at first base on a, on a close play. So there's just not that one big hit. And you had, you had the Schwarber three-run homer the other day. But otherwise, they are trying to string together rallies. And as we've said, I mean, in an inning in which they hit, they had four hits and a walk and almost had a fifth if the Harrison play had stood. And they got two runs out of it because that's who they are. They don't have extra base hits. They don't sustain rallies like that. This is who they are, and they're just going to have to win games like this. They don't have big innings. That's for darn sure. I mean, I've said it a thousand times. They must lead the majors in innings that are set up to be big innings and end up being, you know, mere humble one-run innings, two-run innings at the maximum. You mentioned Josh Harrison. What did you think about the hubbub with the hit-by-pitch? Bottom of the eighth, the two-out full-count hit-by-pitch. Unless there's something I'm unaware of and Harrison thought it was on purpose, I I thought he was a little overly sensitive on that. Like, I I know it hurts when you get hit-by-pitch. I get that. But, like, I don't know. I thought some of the drama off that was a little unnecessary. But am I missing something? Or did Harrison kind of overreact to that? No, I'm with you on that. And it's easy for us to say because we're not the one who took a fastball in the back. But clearly there was no intent, no reason for that. I know he used to play for them, but that it's been several years and most of the team isn't the same anymore that he played with. And there's certainly, he hasn't said anything bad about them. There's nothing like that. I think he's just, you know, it hurt. (laughs) You get hit with a fastball in the back, it hurts. He slammed the bat in frustration. Now, I don't know who said anything, who said something first, whether it was the pitcher, whether it was Stallings, the catcher, whether it was Harrison, but that just seems like a moment, Josh, just take your base, you know, it's a close game late. Don't do anything that's going to disrupt the way this game is going and risk anything that, you know, they might somehow lose the game because of a a brawl or an ejection or, or God knows what. Yeah, I thought that was a bit much. And I even thought just because we've seen Harrison play around a lot with other guys, I thought at first maybe he was joking with them. And then it became clear that he was not choking. He was actually upset. Now there's jawing back and forth. And it was hilarious when the inning ended and Harrison ends up kind of near third base. And he stood there still kind of looking at at least and jawing a little bit with the Pirates dugout. And two of the umpires wind up standing like right in front of him, sort of blocking him from the Pirates dugout while he's waiting to get his glove and his hat from the dugout. It just seemed like, let this one go. I don't think there was anything nefarious about this at all. It's unfortunate you got hit with a pitch. It hurts. I get it. But there was no reason to turn that into something that it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I'll reserve the right to change my stance on this if we find out that some things were said to him. But otherwise, it's like, don't put yourself in front of the team. The last thing the Nats need right now is some benches clearing brawl where, you know, more people get hurt. I mean, you got to remember from the Pirates perspective, 
They don't care, okay? The Pirates are awful, so they have nothing to lose in a circumstance like that. The Pirates have actually been in a good number of brawls, including brawls with each other in recent seasons. That's one of the things that doomed Clint Hurdle as Pirates manager. So you don't want to give them a reason to to start going after you, all right? Just calm down. It's not about you. It's about your team, and and just let it be. I, I thought Harrison overreacted to that couple more things on Nats position players, and then we'll get to the pitching. So uh, with Juan Soto, that was a brutal throw that he made on the Eric Gonzalez one-out RBI sack fly that tied the game at two in the top of the six. Now, Juan Soto overall has actually done a good job defensively in right field this season, came into the game plus three defensive runs saved in right on the year. But man, that, that throw was not close. And that's a big spot right there. Like potentially you can get the guy out. And instead the throw was way wide. Soto backing up on it. He will come in now, make the catch, tagging a third. Stallings trying to score. Soto's throw is offline, and this game is tied. That throw tailed up the first base side. But on the flip side of that, really nice job by Starling Castro defensively for that double play that ended the top of the eighth inning. Castro had another bad night offensively, 0 for 4, left three men on base. But Castro, a nice short hop pick to begin a 5-4-3 double play that ended the top of the eighth inning. So some bad, but also some very good. That was a good job by Castro. That was a nifty play. I I, I liked that one. That that wasn't just a athletic play. That was like a agility kind of play to pick up that ball in the short hop like that and get it to second. It was a nice turn by Harrison as well. Now the Soto throw, I agree, it was not good. He really hasn't been tested very much since he hurt his shoulder. So we haven't seen that many opportunities to find out is this still an issue or not. Remember, all along they said... It's only when he throws it wasn't affecting his hitting. I still, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if it's bothering him when he hits. If that has anything to do with all the ground balls, we may never know the answer to that. But whether the throw was just a bad throw or whether his shoulder isn't 100%, I thought that was telling. Now, that wasn't one of those that you said, oh, he's definitely going to throw him out. But it's one of those that maybe he could have thrown him out. A good throw at least would make it close. It's a catcher running down the line that would have been interesting. And ultimately, I really felt bad for John Lester because he ends up charged with this run in which the batter reached on a misread by Robles in center field. It was a hard hit ball. It was a smoked line drive, but it was a bad break by Robles coming in on it and then having to recover. And then on a uh, sack fly, like you said, in which there was at least a chance to throw him out and it didn't become a close play. And Lester was out of the game at that point. Suero was on the mound. So I know we don't care about pitcher wins on this podcast. I know you especially don't care about pitcher wins. But John Lester's 0-2 now in nine starts, despite having an ERA near four. He's pitched better than that. He deserves a win. He doesn't care about it. He said as long as the team wins, nothing else matters. But I thought that was a bit unfortunate. I thought he earned and deserved a little bit better than what that end result was. Yeah, it it also hurts his ERA too. And Lester did a nice job overall on Monday night. I got to tell you, it's entertaining watching John Lester pitch because good God, I mean, he puts people on base, okay? I mean, you know, the clean inning is a foreign concept to John Lester now. But he does such a good job of escaping these innings unscathed or of minimizing the damage. And Lester on Monday night, two runs in five into third innings. I mean, who wouldn't take that at this point with where John Lester is at? Only had two strikeouts. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, three singles. He issued a walk. He threw 86 pitches over the five and a third innings. But at the end of the night, the final line, even with Suero allowing that inherited runner to score off the leadoff double by Jacob Stallings to begin the top of the sixth, Two runs in five and a third innings, and you decided the ERA. John Lester over nine starts has an ERA of four zero nine, which these days really isn't that bad, and and a WHIP of one forty eight. So he he puts a lot of guys on base, 
but he's done a really good job of minimizing the damage. And I thought what happened on Monday night was like the perfect microcosm of where Lester is at right now in his career. Yeah, this is sort of the uh, this is who he is right now. Yeah, that that start. That's who he is. And that's fine if he can keep doing that. Now, the fear would be that if you keep putting runners on base at that rate, eventually it's going to catch up to you. And maybe it will. Or maybe there is something to be said for the savvy veteran pitching with runners in scoring position, knowing how to get out of a jam. I don't know. Maybe there is something to it. I mean, his pitch count was way up there. It was 60 after three innings. I didn't think he was going to make it to the sixth. And then finally, finally hit a six pitch fourth and a one, two, three fifth. He made the joke even about the one, two, three inning, how hard they've been to come by for him this year. He finally got one in a big moment and that allowed him to hit for himself in the bottom of the fifth and then take the mound in the sixth. So that was a little show of faith from Davey for him. I'm still waiting. You know, he's nine starts into this now. He really hasn't gotten up around the 100 pitch mark. And I'm wondering if there may come a point here that they say, let's go for it. Let's see. Remember the whole thing about the parathyroid surgery in March. And the idea was that that might help with his stamina, which was an issue the last few years. I'll be curious to see. He says he's feeling strong physically. It's going to have to be the right situation. Maybe they need to be up by a few more runs. But I would like to see them try to push him to 100 pitches and just see what happens. Maybe it costs him. Maybe it turns out you can't do this with him anymore at this stage of his career. But I don't think there's that much to lose if you try it once in the right spot. Yeah, I mean, the problem is it may be in the fourth inning. Uh, Lester's Lester's last outing, that 3-1 loss at Tampa Bay on June 8th, one run, three and two-thirds innings on 91 pitches. Like, pitch efficient he has not been. But yeah, I I don't disagree with what you just said. Give it a shot, you know? Uh, He certainly has proven capable of it in the past. And at this point, you would think the arm has been built up enough to where you could give something like that an opportunity. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets 
for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook Promo code chat and games on Tuesday night include the Orioles at the Cleveland Indians at 710. Matt Harvey is starting for the O's and Harvey is reeling right now. 31 earned runs in 19 and two thirds innings over his last six starts. His ERA for the season is up to 741 over 13 starts. Take the tribe and ride the over. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109-WITH-IT, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Combs flashes the side, left-handed hitter with the open stance against the left-handed pitcher. And to the belt, the kick, and here it comes. Swing and a line drive, one up, fielded by Turner. Edge of the outfield grass, throw the belt in time. And bang, Zuma, Curly W's in the books. A 1-2-3 inning for Brad Hand. Well, another good game for the Nationals bullpen on Monday night as well. We talked about the Nats pitching at the top of the show, and the pitching has been really good lately. There are no two ways about it. Four Nationals relievers on Monday night combining for three and two-thirds scoreless innings. Now, yes, Suero did allow an inherited runner to score, so we should note that in getting the final two outs in the top of the six, he allowed that runner to score. But Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless top of the seventh with two strikeouts. Tanner Rainey, a scoreless top of the eighth. To give him now four scoreless and hitless innings over his last four appearances since that nightmare of an appearance in the bullpen game, that 12-6 loss at Philadelphia on June 6th. In that game, Rainey giving up three runs in the bottom of the sixth, the ERA for the season ballooning to 10.57. Since then, Rainey's actually been good. And then another guy who's been much better lately, Brad Hand. Perfect top of the ninth. He now has allowed just two earned runs in 10 and the third innings over his last 10 appearances, especially with Daniel Hudson on the 10-day injured list. Very encouraging to see Hand continue to do well, and maybe just maybe Rainey now, finally, this season is getting on track. Yeah, you know, with Hand, I think we were in a stretch there where we kind of were clenching ourselves a little bit when he would come into the game, thinking, oh boy, waiting for something bad to happen. Well, he's gotten over that. And here's the numbers to back it up. So his first nine appearances of the season, opponent's OPS against him, 432. That's great. Lights out. Then next six appearances, this is where the blown saves and a couple other bad outings were in, 1.236 OPS against. That's awful. He was getting hit hard. But now his last 10, you cited the numbers. Here's the OPS against, 438. So it's right back to where he was the beginning of the season. And I think it's safe to say that he is back to who he was supposed to be. He hit 95 with his fastball in this game. So that's a really good sign if he's doing that. Rainey, you know, let's see it a little bit more, but good signs. He's starting to get there. I thought the game in Tampa, the, the wild, crazy game that he wound up getting the save was maybe big for him, maybe big for his confidence to be given that opportunity. And he's come back since. And I think he is, for now, the setup man, as long as Daniel Hudson is out. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But he's slowly getting the ERA down from 10 to 9 to 8. 
We'll see if we can get it below that. And I found the stat file that I was looking for before. Over their last 10 games, and that's pitching staff, 2.30 ERA. I mean, that's outstanding. And again, they're 5-5 five and because five they're not scoring enough runs. But keep the pitching up like that, get one more hit, key hit a game, and all of a sudden it's a different story. Yeah, I mean, under the umbrella of run prevention, right, you have pitching and defense. Pitching been much better lately. Defense has been stunningly great this season. I mean, that, that is still a jaw-dropper to me that the Nats have been an elite defensive team this season, and yet they have been. So at least for right now, that is the path to victory, no doubt. You know, try to win 3-2-4-3 three, three, as opposed to 10-9. You know, it's interesting to me with Rainey, too. You referenced the game at the Rays. So Rainey tossing a scoreless bottom of the 11th in that wild 9-7-11 inning win at Tampa Bay on June 9th. And I know Rainey has talked about this, how it meant a lot to him that Davey entrusted Tanner to close out that game. Now, we talked after that game. That was more out of necessity than it was maybe out of desire. Like, I don't know that anyone else was available to toss that bottom of the 11th uh, in that game. But Tanner Rainey, to me, seems like a guy for whom confidence matters a lot. Like, his stuff plays. It's not a matter of stuff, it's, it seems to me, with Tanner Rainey. It's just a matter of him you know, believing that he can do it, you know, locating his pitches properly, yes. But there's no reason that this guy can't be a lights-out reliever. We saw that last season. Clearly, we haven't seen it with consistency this season. But I still think within him is a guy who can be a really good back-end of the bullpen performer. You are 100% correct. It is about confidence with him. And you can see that when he gets in a rut, it gets worse and worse and worse. And when he's going well, it can go really well for a while. The thing that he tends to do, and Davey has mentioned this really since he first came up for the first time in 2019, if he's a little bit panicky, he rushes and he needs to get out there and just take a deep breath, go at his pace, trust that his arm is good enough. He doesn't have to give any extra effort to throw the ball 98, 99, 100. He's got that naturally when he's throwing it nice and smooth. And so when he is trying to force it and hump up a little bit more, that's when the command gets off and he's not throwing strikes. So trust yourself that you have the stuff to get big league hitters out because he does have the stuff to do it. Take a deep breath, slow yourself down, have a little confidence. I think it can go a long way. And yeah, certainly they are not giving up on him. And and we've seen the evidence why the last several times out. All right, so Max Scherzer, Monday was bullpen session day. He was going to test out that groin off the abbreviated start this past Friday night, the one nothing loss to San Francisco at Nationals Park. Max in that game lasting for just one out and 12 pitches due to a groin tweak. I could tell listening to you in the last installment of the podcast, you had your doubts about whether Max was going to make his next start. And sure enough, the bullpen session on Monday ends up being cut short, the groin still bothering him. It looks like he will not be making this next scheduled start on Wednesday, though it's still not definite whether he goes on the 10-day injured list. What did you see? What did he say? And where are we going right now with Max Scherzer? So the good news here is he is actually making progress and he's getting better. And he said each of the last three days that has been the case. Before the bullpen session, he went through a pretty aggressive agility drill in the outfit. (laughs) He almost looked like a a defensive uh, cornerback or safety. He was running these drills like backtracking and moving and uh, like he's trying to, to cover a receiver or something like that. And I'm sure if Max Scherzer wanted to, he could do that as well in an NFL game because he's Max Scherzer. And of course he would. But it seemed like that was a good sign. He was doing that. So he gets done with that. Then he goes back in, he puts on the full uniform and he goes to the mound for the bullpen session thinking, okay, this is all very good. He threw about 10 pitches, 20 less than he was going to. And he said he just felt it enough that he didn't feel comfortable driving off the mound. He said, this is one of those things that if he absolutely had to look, if this is game seven of the World Series, he's starting on Wednesday, but obviously it's not. And so it's not worth the risk. He feels like he could injure it much worse. And now you're going to miss a whole lot of time. 
So he thinks it's just a matter of days, not weeks. And that's why they haven't made the decision yet on the IL that maybe if they avoid this, he could pitch this weekend against the Mets and just get by, you know, essentially with a man down for a few days. If they put him on the IL, he can't come back until the Phillies series Tuesday of next week. They can backdate it three days. So one way or the other, they have to make the decision on Tuesday. Reading between the lines, I think there's maybe some thought they could hold off and let him pitch this weekend if he thinks there's a chance of that. I could see that. Obviously, that's a big series against the Mets for them. If they can somehow get Max Scherzer to face them, that would be really big for them. So I think there's a chance of that. But yeah, from the day before, just knowing Max over the years, if he's feeling good as he's walking by us on the field to tell us how he's doing, he's just going to say, I'm good and keep walking. He won't say anything. That's the indication. The fact that he stopped and talked to us and had a more thorough answer, that to me said he has his doubts. And it turned out that was true. The fact that the Nats have this doubleheader with the Mets on Saturday, so it's going to be another weekend in which it's four games in three days. Do you think that impacts anything? That, okay, Max, if you don't start Wednesday, you're probably going with like Paolo Espino or a bullpen approach. And then what would you do Saturday when you have two games on that day? Do you think that enters into the equation or is this 100% just about where Max is at with the groin? I think it starts with Max and how he's feeling. They're not going to push this. He's not going to let them push him if he doesn't think he's ready. Because again, if he hurts himself worse, and has to miss any time, or if he takes the mound for a game and has to leave in the first inning again, that's terrible for the team. The domino effect of that would be awful. So he's got to know that he's good. He'll have to actually throw a full bullpen session at some point. But it's an interesting point because, like you said, it's probably a Spino on Wednesday. So that would knock him out for the weekend. And are they going to call up Jeffrey Rodriguez again? Maybe that's what they do. Or you say, hey, Max Scherzer in a seven inning game against the Mets, you give us five, six good innings, that could be enough. And that helps them get through it. So that's a fascinating question. Unfortunately, they're going to have to decide on Tuesday. Like I said, they're not going to be able to wait much longer than that. Because if they wait beyond Tuesday, you can't backdate the move anymore, uh, more than three days. So to get them back as soon as possible, they have to put them on the IL Tuesday. If they don't, then that says that they believe that he'll be good to go this weekend. Well, maybe Cade Cavalli can start for him. (laughs) Promoted to double A Harrisburg. Mark, this is getting exciting with Cade Cavalli. And we've talked about this with these top prospects, man. They always debut sooner than we think. If he's at double-A Harrisburg now, I mean, it's not unfathomable, is it, that by the end of the season, he may be called upon? Like, if the Nats, you know, put forth this charge, make a a run toward a postseason spot, have some instance in September when they need a prospect or they need someone to make a spot start, I mean, could we not maybe possibly see Cavalli at the major league level at some point this season? So I think, and again, there's a long way to go. You know, he still has to prove himself and now at another level before this happens. But I think there is potentially a case for it on his pitching merits to earn it. Here's going to be the issue if we get to that point. Again, a lot of things have to happen between now and then. Are they monitoring his innings this year? This is his first professional season. He didn't really get to pitch last year because there were no minor leagues. He didn't really get to pitch that much in college last year. We know how protective they are of these guys. Yes, they'll promote a guy quickly if they think he's ready, but they're also very protective of their pitchers and their innings. And especially when all the other pitching prospects have gone down to injury or haven't been good. And this may be the one final great hope for them in the long term that they've got to be awfully careful not to do anything. So I could see a scenario where he's great and he's lights out at double A, maybe even gets to triple A. And then come September when the minor league season ends, they say, thank you. Good job. We'll see you next spring. Even if he's earned it, even if he looks like he might be good enough to pitch here, I think it'll depend what the total innings count is, how many starts he's made, and how far they're willing to push him. They tend to err on the side of caution with that. As exciting as it would be, 
if he's really just lights out, you know, I tend to think that they will be more cautious with him, unfortunately. The other guy they, that they're promoted, Cronin, who is a reliever. Now, that, that could be a different story. If he keeps it up, I could see a scenario in which maybe they would say, okay, let's, let's see what you can do for us here late in the season. You know, he's not nearly the prospect that Kate Cavalli is, but they can always use a good uh, lefty reliever, especially uh, with a fresh arm. Cade Cavalli versus Jacob deGrom, Nationals <laughs> Park in September. You heard it here first. It, it's awesome, though, seeing this. It's nice to have something like this, someone to track in the Nationals farm system who is flying right now and Cade Cavalli. Well, game two against the Pirates at Nationals Park, Tuesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin taking on the aforementioned Pirates lefty, Tyler Anderson. So Tuesday night will be the latest installment. And as the Corbin turns, he has given up 18 runs in 26 innings over his last five starts. He has an ERA of 621 and a whip of 151 over 12 starts this season. Yes, Corbin's whip is higher than Lester's, which tells you all you need to know. The Pirates are wretched offensively. I mean, we we do have to acknowledge this. The Giants are not a very good offensive team, nor are the Pirates. They came into games on Monday next to last in the majors in teams weighted runs created plus. If Corbin can't have a good outing against the Pirates, I mean, what are we doing here with this guy? This is set up to be, at least for one night, a get-right night for Patrick Corbin. I mean, everybody else on the staff has got it together in the last week, so it's time for Corbin to join the group, you know? I agree, no excuses in this one. I think the Pirates have three hitters at the top of their lineup that scare you a little bit. Adam Frazier, Key Brian Hayes, and Brian Reynolds. After that, no, there's not much going on the rest of the way. He's got to throw strikes. He's got to get them to swing at his slider. He's got to be able to put hitters away with two strikes. Where are the strikeouts? Patrick Corbin is not a pitch-to-contact guy. He's a strikeout guy. It's time for that to return. Avoid the walks. Avoid the big innings. It's all set up for him to have a nice outing. You just hope this is the one that it comes together for him. And maybe he can actually continue this hot streak they've got going on. They've won three of four. Maybe there's a little something momentum to be gained if they can win at least two out of three or even sweep the Pirates and go into a big weekend series with the Mets. Who knows? But yeah, it's now or never for Patrick Corbin. You couldn't set it up any better for him to give him a more favorable matchup. No doubt. And if the Nats are going to make a run here, they really need to sweep this series. I mean, the Pirates are bad. The Nats need to start piling up some wins. This is a big homestand. You have a big series coming up against the Mets with the four games in three days. There's no reason the Nats should not sweep the Pirates. Thankfully, he got off to a nice start with the victory on Monday night. You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Been a while since we've done Tales of Little League. Wanted to read this in. This is from Mr. Ted Yoder. He is an instructor for honors biology, marine biology, and biological adaptations at St. Stephen's and St. Agnes School. Is anyone here a marine biologist? Uh, <laughs> Anyway, writes Mr. Ted Yoder, Tim Allen, Mark, thanks for a truly enjoyable and interesting podcast. Thank you very much. I found it to be a perfect length for a commute and a great way to rehash the previous night's events. Sunday, so talking about uh, this past Sunday, is the six-year anniversary of a great moment in Tacoma Park slash Silver Spring Little League history. My son's 8-9 team, the Red Beans, I have no idea how they got that nickname, was playing on a beautiful sunny afternoon, nursing a small lead in the bottom of the final inning. Our pitcher got a little wild and put two boys on base. Momentum was building for a rally, and there was a lot of chatter coming from the opposing bench. 
The next batter cracked a line drive up the middle. We held our collective breath, but our second baseman was shaded towards the bag. Ah, a shift perhaps. And he snared the ball. Not only that, his momentum carried him across the bag, whereupon he tagged the runner who had stepped off second. Immediately, he turned and saw that the runner from first base had ventured too far. So he ran over and tagged him as well. At this point, it gets interesting because there was a moment of complete stunned silence. It seemed like 30 seconds passed. Then finally, the ump pointed to our player's mitt, indicating one out, then pointed to each of the runners in succession, indicating they were out, then pandemonium and a big tog pile for the winning team. That second baseman, that may have been the zenith of his career. However, as he, like Starling Castro, has trouble laying off the high heat. (laughs) Thanks again. Keep up the great work. (laughs) Mr. Ted Yoder with the email. See, a happy tale from Little League. We asked for some of these because a lot of our tales had been dark and almost like sinister. This puts a smile on your face. So thank you for that email, Mr. Ted Yoder. What is more unlikely, an unassisted triple play in Little League or hitting a golf ball into a whale's blowhole? What do you think is more unlikely to have happen? I think the unassisted triple play, and that's a legitimate one. That's not like one of those the kids, you know, screwed it up. Like, no, that that could happen in a big league game exactly the way it sounds like this was. Nice job on that. That's pretty exciting. I've never seen anyone do that in a Little League game. Uh, so I'm going to say that's even rarer than the golf ball in the blowhole. Well, as Kramer said, hole in one. And that's that's what that was. But unassisted triple play, I think that supersedes the hole-in-one. So excellent job there. And nice to have a happy moment uh, from a tale of Little League. You tell us uh, what you have for us from your Little League ventures, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can always tweet us, too, at Nats underscore chat. Uh, All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. As the homestand continues at Nationals Park, where your Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. And if you wear a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt to a game, take a photo of it, tweet it out. We'll retweet it for you, all right? Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts, great-looking shirts. You can get yours at natschatpodcast.square.site. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. So I started to walk into the water. I won't lie to you, boys. I was terrified. I pressed on, and as I made my way past the breakers, a strange calm came over me. I I don't know if it was divine intervention or the kinship of all living things, but I tell you, Jerry, at that moment, I was a marine biologist. George, I've just been reading this thing in the paper. It's unbelievable. I know, I was just telling the story. Well, come on, George, finish the story. The sea was angry that day, my friends. Like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. I got about 50 feet out and suddenly the great beast appeared before me. I tell you, he was 10 stories high if he was a foot. As if sensing my presence, he let out a great bellow. I said, easy, big fella. And then as I watched him struggling, I realized something was obstructing its breathing. From where I was standing, I could see directly into the eye of the great fish. Mammal. Whatever. (laughs) What what did you do next? Then, from out of nowhere, a huge tidal wave lifted me, tossed me like a cork, and I found myself right on top of him, face to face with the blowhole. I, I, I could barely see from the waves crashing down upon me, but I knew something was there. So I reached my hand in, felt around, and 
pulled out the obstruction. What is that, a title list? A hole in one, huh? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.